Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you're doing great. It's midweek. I was going to say hump day, right? It's hump day. Everybody made it to Wednesday. Two more days. Hit that weekend and then 4th of July and all the celebration going on and all that good stuff. Well, I hope everybody had a good Wednesday. Got a great show tonight. I'm really excited for my guest. He's a returning guest. And by the way, my name is, before I forget, right? My name is Charlotte. I'll be your host tonight. I'm also the owner of this uh, team, this California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. Based out of Sacramento, California, we are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a problem, I hate things hanging, if you have a problem, we can help you out. It may take us a couple days to get to you because California is huge. It's a huge state, but we can get to you. And in the, in the event that we can't get you right away, we do have psychic mediums on staff that can call you and speak with you and see what, what, excuse me, what might be going on in your house. Chicken sandwich, guys. To see what might be going on in your house, and uh, sometimes they can settle it down until we get out there. In most cases, okay. I've got something really cool to share with you right now. I got I got good news and bad news for you guys. Okay, the bad. Let's do the bad news first, right? The bad news is I was just seeing about a half hour ago on CNN a CNN announcement came up that the Coast Guard has found remains has found what, what seems to be human remains among the debris for that sub that that, that imploded. So that's the bad news. I really, I find that really sad, really sad. I was hoping that when the thing imploded, I was hoping that, you know, just everything went in fish food, right? But that's unfortunate. Okay, now switching gears into, into good news. If you guys remember, uh, if you guys saw the video of the longest tenure Tinkerbell at Disneyland, Gina, Gina Rock, the, the uh, video we did, the interview, uh, she loved it, very happy with it, and I got something in the mail today from her, which is really cool. I collect Disney stuff. At least I used to. I don't do it as much anymore. But every time I went to Disneyland as, as a kid and into my, into my 20s, I would buy a, a unique wristwatch every time I went. Like I've got, uh, I got a Peter Pan one where they're, where, where, the, where they're all flying around the face of the, you know, Big Ben's there and they're flying around the face of the, of the watch. I've got a goofy one where the hands run backwards. I've got, you know, I've got a Mickey one where his head nods and things like that. I was collecting those. Plus, I was collecting, and this is this going to show, show you how old I am, the VHS tapes when they were coming out with, with the special editions of, uh, of the movies. I collected those because they used to come with like a, a um, animation frame. It was a copy of an animation frame, but they were all numbers, so I, I have all those. I probably have some of those diamond ones where you can make a lot of bucks off it. But this, what I got today, is unique in that I don't think many people have this. Uh, so I'll see if I can show it to you. I was uh, trying to do a printout of it or set it up for the show, but uh, I had a crash last minute, so I couldn't do it. So, see if I can show this to you guys. If you can see it, look at that. There you go. So I have got an autographed picture of Tinkerbell herself flying between the Matterhorn. That's straightened out. I know it's glossy. Between the Matterhorn and uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle, and it's autographed. And if you remember the story with this gal. She is the longest tenure Tinkerbell. She flew for almost 40 years from the Matterhorn to the, to, to, you know, to pass the castle every night at Disneyland. So I'm real excited. I'm glad to have that. It's, it's a real interesting piece of trivia because not everybody has that. It's signed by her Tinkerbell and then her name. So I'm really excited about that. Hopefully tomorrow I'll have the, the you know, the, the thing up so you guys can really see it. Anyhow, I want to make the announcement too. I'm teaching a class on ghost hunting. And that's because I'm, I'm looking to recruit members for my team. And um, I have one spot left for that class. So if you, if, if you want to jump on board for that, you got to do it. Today. You, know, you, know, you got to do it. You know, if that's something you feel like you want to do. So there's one spot available. Go over to California Haunts Meetup uh, page, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup. Go under events and look for, you know, looking for team members. Okay. And sign up over there. Okay. Because like I said, there's just one spot left. Also, uh, the day after that, which would be July 9th, 
I'm also got a, a kind of event thing going on where maybe you don't want to commit to a ghost hunt team, but you want to go out and look for ghosts or check out haunted locations. Well, I can I can help you with that. We've done, you know, I've been doing this for almost 20 years with my team. And so we know just about every easy to access haunted hotspot there is. And so what I've decided to do was uh, share that information with you. I mean, it might be a restaurant, it might be a hotel, and you might want to stay the night or something in a haunted location. But these are places that you could even just walk in for free, maybe have a soda or something, and ask the staff about their ghosts. So that's available on the uh, 9th, and so check that out. That's also over at the meetup, okay? So you have a nice list to do that with. Okay, getting on with our day. If you're watching from Facebook and you like what you see tonight, be sure to give me a thumbs up, a smiley face, you know, uh, anything to be happy. Because what happens is, is that uh, Facebook is on the algorithm. And what, the, what that does is the more of those we get, Facebook looks at that and puts us up higher, which puts us out to more people. And since I've been doing a lot of the shorts, because I know you guys that follow me, I've seen a lot of the shorts I've been doing. Since I've been doing those, I'm getting more views and everything because we are getting moved up and pushed up to that algorithm. So please be sure to, you know, let me know if you like the show or not. Show me some love. And if you haven't done so already, follow. Okay, because we're always looking for followers. The more followers, the merrier, right? The more followers. Um, also, if there's somebody in your house who is in there other than you and maybe might be in the other room or something and, and they haven't seen the show yet and you, and you like the show, you can, you can just ask them to hey, come on over here. This, this is kind of cool show here. Kind of campy, kind of cool at the same time. And check it out. You know, because that's how another way that the show gets gets more, more views is word of mouth, right? Okay. Same thing with YouTube. YouTube is on the algorithm. So the more happiness, and the, the more hearts and all that, that that you give us, the higher up we go on the algorithms of YouTube. Plus, YouTube, I've got 631 videos sitting over there for the last three years. So um, there's all kinds of stuff to choose from topics. And as you can tell, I'm a journalist. I don't like being on the paranormal topic all the time. So today is a prime example of that. Our good friend Larry Jorgensen is coming on to talk about a book he has about a shipwreck. I like to vary the topics, okay? Um, I'm a news reporter is what I do. All right. And the main thing I've done over on YouTube also is that there's so many over there that even for me, I get overwhelmed. You know, I'm trying to search like, for instance, Larry to get some more of his information. I go over to YouTube to try and find him. And it's like this big jumble of the videos. So what I've done is I've taken those videos and I've, I've, I've put categories, you know, in, in uh, folders so that you can find them easier. So if you're into, if you're into shipwrecks, you can find the shipwreck stories in there. If you're into Nancy Matt's, you can go to Nancy Matt's file and find Nancy Matt's stuff and UFOs and cryptozoology and all that stuff. They're all they're all under a category, so it's easier to find. And also, again, if you haven't subscribed, this might be a good time to subscribe. We're looking to you know to get more subscribers. We're always out looking for subscribers, so I appreciate that. That being said, you can find us on Facebook under California Haunts under my name. You can find me over at Instagram under Ghosty Gal. You can find us on Twitter under Cal California Haunts. You can find us under Twitch under Cal Haunts. And you can find us over at TikTok under California Haunts. All lowercase. Okay? All right. Now, tonight's show. I'm so excited. I haven't talked to Larry in a while. He's been on twice before. And uh, before he was, uh, we used to call him the Coca Cola guy. Because uh, he knows, if there's someone that knows about Coca Cola, it's Larry. But this book is different. This book is about a, a Great Lakes wreck and a rescue that took place. So I'm really excited about it. My father grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, when we would fly back and stuff, you know, to meet the family, he was always taking me to the Great Lakes to, to show me the Great Lakes. And God, they're impressive. It's like standing at the Pacific Ocean. I mean, they're just huge. Just huge. And there's also a woman I follow on Instagram who lives off of Lake Ontario. You know, and she's in Canada. But she lives off of Lake Ontario and she's always taking nature walks in the morning so it's interesting on, on, on how big these lakes really are and unless you've been there you don't realize how large they are so anyway larry jorgensen is with us tonight for, for his third round uh, brave guy right for his third round to talk about his new book and i'm going to let him tell you about it and uh let me bring him on and he can tell you about himself all right here we go hey charlotte how are we doing good how are you sir it's been a while Hello. We're good. It has been a while and been busy creating some interesting and somewhat mysterious stories here um, because we, we, we have, a, you know, shipwrecks and underwater 
been in the news a lot lately. And uh -huh. um, what we have is a story that has a, finally a happy ending um, as compared to so much tragedy with lately between the Edmund Fitzgerald and so forth. Uh -huh. and, and then we've got the other interesting thing in this story is that it's not just about shipwrecks. We have found people that are interested in vintage automobiles. Oh. And, you, and you think, well, why? What's that got to do with the shipwreck? Well, what it has to do with the ship that wrecked, and this was in 1926, had 240 brand new Chryslers on it. Oh. It is the only time on the Great Lakes that a ship carrying automobiles, and they did that a lot, uh, had a wreck, and yet they were able to rescue the cars. Of course, they got the crew, too. Two different stories that we could tell you about, but sure. it's amazing how they were able to get the cars off of that ship and actually get them sent back to Detroit, where they came from. So That's uh, it, 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 it reaches two, two areas of interest, shipwrecks, vintage cars, and uh, we, could, we could go with both of them at the same time. You know, the ship had, had left Detroit, Michigan in November of 1926. And they didn't do a lot of transporting cars by trucks in those days. They used ships a lot. Um, so he, they were headed to Duluth, Minnesota. Lake Superior, and Lake Superior in November can get real nasty. That November on Lake Superior, that's when the Edmund Fitzgerald went down. And as it happened, it got real nasty when uh, the ship with the cars on it was headed towards Duluth. Um, it, the ship got in just a, a fierce storm, and the captain lost complete control, lost the rudder, the storm was so fierce that it literally tossed the ship onto a reef off of the shore on Lake Superior. And, and the reef was located, uh, if, if you look at a map of Upper Michigan, there's a little peninsula that sticks out into Lake Superior. It's called the Keweenaw Peninsula. It's about as far north as you could go in Michigan. And it gets real desolate, and they get... It's not uncommon for them to get 300 inches of snow during the winter. Wow. So, so it, it can get real nasty up there. So anyhow, the, the ship gets tossed onto a reef. It, it, it gets ripped open, uh, fills with water on the lower level, and the cars on top uh, get frozen in and so forth. So we have a crew of 29 guys and of course, we've got to get them rescued. So what they do is they get a lifeboat, and they chip it loose from the ice and snow, and they use the lifeboat back and forth, back and forth to shore to get the crew members on shore. Okay, so now we've got, at least we've got the crew on shore. Um, so they think there's a little town on the tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula, a little town called Copper Harbor. And they mistakenly think that they have sailed past, in other words, they are west of Copper Harbor. The captain told them that, west, we must be west of Copper Harbor. Uh, I saw that mountain, I know that's the Brockway Mountain there at Copper Harbor, and we've gone by it. So, which they hadn't. Now, 1926, there's no ship-to-shore communications. Nobody knows if the ship has crashed, and nobody knows where they are. So they get the crew off the ship, thinking they are west of this little bitty town. And so they figure, well, what we have to do is walk east. We may, you know, walking through four feet of snow and sub-zero temperatures and so forth, we may be able to make it to that town. Well, that was a mistake because they were already... Um, east of Copper Harbor. They didn't know it. And they proceeded to go further east in their struggling through the snow. It wasn't until almost a full day when they realized the mistake. 
turned around and headed west was where they should have been going in the first place. Now, we've got deep snow, cold temperatures, we've got a crew that had no idea of the challenge that they were going to meet. Some of them are dressed like, you know, going to a, a prom or something. They've got loafers on and, you know, they're not dressed for what's happening. Uh, so they get out there, they're in the snow, they're freezing. And after the second day of just wandering through the snow, trying to find this little town, they're about ready to give up. They just think they've had it. As it turned out, there was a Coast Guard ship, a rescue ship, that had gone out because another boat had gone ashore east of where the, the, this particular, well, the ship was called the Banger, after Banger Bay. So the ship that went ashore was east of that, and they were able to make communications with the Coast Guard who went out to rescue them. In going out, he never, the Coast Guard captain never even saw the abandoned ship that was wrecked on the reef. The storm, the storm was so bad. Uh, so he rescues the second crew. He's headed back to this little community of Copper Harbor. And all of a sudden he sees the abandoned ship. He, he pulls in there and there's no one around. So he continues on. And a few hours later, he spots the crew. They're in a little, along the shore of a little bay. And he sort of pulls in there with his rescue boat and he hails to them. Build a fire. I will come back and get you. So, and he takes the first crew in, comes back and rescues the second crew. So altogether, we've got about 59 people rescued crewmen in this little bitty town, population probably three dozen. You know, <laughs> definitely, there was no welcome wagon there for them. Uh, so the problem is, what do we do with the crew? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the one, the crew that was in better shape, that second crew, they finally got them over to the rescue station, which was about 14 miles away. Got them there by boat. But the crew off of the, the ship that was rescued wrecked with the cars, they're really in bad shape. And a family in that town says, we'll take them in, all of them. They took them in, got them to the house through deep snow. The family had, fortunately, um, the father had slaughtered a couple hogs to get them through the winter. So they, they had that and they had milk from their, their cow and they had chickens. So they got them in there and the guys literally collapsed around the stove in the house and they were fed, but they were in bad shape, really bad shape. Um, the Coast Guard captain was able to uh, radio ahead to the nearest hospital, which was 40 miles away. Now this is 1926. And the town where they are is snowed in. They don't follow the road between this particular town in the town where the hospital is, it, you know, the snow can get six, eight feet deep on that road. So he 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 gets a hold of the doctor at the hospital, says we need help, we need a bath. The, the doctor was able to find a local automobile mechanic of sorts who had devised, he'd taken a Model T and he'd put snow tracks on the back of it and skis, and they were able to plow through. 40 miles of snow and get to at least the more seriously injured of the crew to get them into the hospital. The remaining crew, little by little, go by horse dog sleigh and make it to the hospital. Eventually, they get all of them to the hospital. So, little by little, you know, they, they recover. Uh, some of them spend a couple months in that hospital, but uh, they do recover and are able to little by little get back to their hometowns. In the meantime, we've still got a ship with 200 and some Christians on it, sitting on a wreath in Lake Superior. Well, Walter Chrysler had come up and had seen the ship, saw that it was a 
it was a it was destroyed. It was a disaster. But he knew his cars were there. And oh, Walter wanted his cars back. So he hired a salvage company in Duluth, Minnesota. And the salvage company comes up with a plan. Now, the, the ship had wrecked in November. They wait over two months until the ice freezes around the reef. So now there is a frozen ice pack from the reef to shore. Okay, that sounds good. So they build a ramp and they start getting the cars off of the badly damaged ship. Now, it wasn't easy to get them off. They'd been on there for almost three months, covered with snow and ice. Uh, pictures in the book uh, will show how hard they worked to get those cars off of that boat. And ultimately, they were going to try to take them through the woods, like a seven-mile journey through the woods. They were going to make a road to get into this little town of Copper Harbor. Well, that didn't work. They, they had just too much snow, too many trees. That didn't work. Then they realized that the water along the shore of Lake Superior also had frozen. It was frozen enough along the shore that they could drive the cars up. Okay, we will drive the cars along the shore of Lake Superior and get them to this little town. Again, not an easy task because some of the cars didn't have batteries. Some of them that did have batteries, the batteries were dead. So the ones that they could get going, they would get them to town and they would take the batteries back and put them in other cars. And finally, and, and there's a picture in the book that shows it more than I can even, even tell. Here are 200 and some 1927 Chryslers lined up in this little bitty town that you know probably has three dozen people. So here they are. There's all these cars. So the you know the salvage company now has been told by Chrysler, I'll pay you $147 for every car you can get back to Detroit. Well, the town that was 40 miles away was a, a depot, a train depot. So the plan was get the cars to that depot. Not, again, an easy task. Because remember, the road's not plowed. There are two county highway commissions involved in that little peninsula. The two commission, uh, county commission road crews went out and worked for three weeks. Even had to bring in a very fancy uh, snow-blowing newly developed machine to get the roads open and they finally got the road open. So now we have a road open, 240 cars to get 40 miles down the road. Well, while they're plowing the road, they're also hauling fuel by sleigh up to the cars. So they've got gas to go down the road. So they, they, they're, now they've got the road open, we're ready to go. The deal is, the salvage company says, I'll pay $5 per person to drive one of those new Chryslers in the little town of Copper Harbor to the railroad depot in the little town of Calumet. Well, there were a, a lot of high school boys that skipped school that day to pick up five bucks driving the car. And little by little, they got them to you know, Calumet where the depot was. However, the local rumor, and we've been able to prove it, is that not all of the cars made it to the depot. Now, Charlotte, you think about it. You're, you're driving one of those cars, right? right. And, and it's a brand new Chrysler, and they're going to give you $5. Okay, but you got the car. Well, as you get closer to the town where the depot was, now there are some side roads that are open. So... Some of the cars didn't quite make it back to Detroit. <laughs> In the book, we talk about one car that we know for sure. That car stayed in the same family in the Upper Peninsula for 69 years. It was handed down from one to another. That car had a grand total of 200,000 miles on it. 
And it finally was sold to a museum. It's a lighthouse museum along the Lake Lake Superior, not far from where the boat crashed. And today, you can go to that museum, you can see that car. It's there, it has an ax mark on it where they chopped the ice off to get it off the boat. Uh, and it, like I said, 200,000 miles, the, the, the guy that had it last, he just loved it. He drove it in parades, he drove it all over the peninsula because he was so proud of that car. And it got, it got that many miles on it. So we have the history of rescuing the crew. We rescue the cars. Some of them sort of stink. By the way, in addition to the 200 and some Chryslers, there were six Whippets. Now the Whippet was a car made by the Willis Company in Toledo. And they were also on that ship. We know for a fact None of the whippets left the peninsula. I mean, Walter Chrysler is paying to get his cars back, not somebody else's. Okay. We were able, and there's pictures in the book, we were able to track down, physically track down with pictures, two of them. We also have evidence as to what happened to two more, and of the six, probably the other two went to the local trash yard when they were done running them. But... That was kind of a sidebar. There, there were some cars besides Chrysler down there. So now we've got the cars either rescued or sort of commandeered, but they're on their way back to Detroit. But what about the ship? Now we have a badly damaged, abandoned ship sitting on a reef off of the Keweenaw Peninsula. Well, that ship sat there for 18 years. Wow. People would, would go out as far as they could go on the shore, and they'd see the ship out there, and they'd take pictures. It became one of the most popular tourist attractions in the summer. But what happens after 18 years, we get into World War II, and there's a need for steel. Another salvage company gets the contract. They go out, they use dynamite, they're cutting torches, whatever it takes. And they get that ship cut all the way down to the waterline and get the steel ashore, and that goes to the war effort. Okay, that's good. That's salvage number one. Then we have, I guess you could call it the midnight salvage crew. There are two loggers. They're in the woods cutting down trees, and they hear about what's going on. You know, and they think, well, we can make a lot more money if we can get some of that steel that we can cutting down these trees. Mm -hmm. So they devise this fancy vehicle, an old truck, put high wheels on it, and put, a, put a big crane on the back of it, and they're able to get it out to the shore, not far from what's left of the boat. And once again, it's now we're underwater. It's divers with dynamite, torches, whatever, cutting the rest of the ship into pieces, and then it's being hauled ashore by this crude crane on the back of this truck. So salvage effort number two, the loggers make a few dollars too, and the steel goes to the war. Um, so if if you go to the museum in Eagle Harbor, it's where it is, you not only will see the car, but occasionally there'll be pieces of that ship very small pieces, but because of the change in tide or whatever, they will be exposed. And there are some pieces of that ship in that museum. But even better, there, are, there is the captain's desk, which he was able to get off of the ship, and his, his jacket and his logbook are all at that museum. It, it's just an amazing story. Uh, something like that's never happened before on the Great Lakes. Uh, there are, you know, Charlotte, there's a lot of a lot of cars on the bottom of the Great Lakes. Right. It wasn't the first boat to wreck that was carrying cars. But it was the first and only one carrying cars where the cars were rescued. And it, it's just an, an amazing story. And what pleases me, not only do the maritime historians, boat 
shipwreck lovers, etc., like the story. But all of a sudden, we've got all these people that like vintage automobiles are fascinated by how these 1927 Chryslers were able to, to be rescued and to sustain themselves through all those conditions, ultimately get back to Detroit. You could, I don't think you could do that today. You know, you get one, you get a damaged car, it doesn't go back into the network. It's, no. it's done, you know. But they got them back to Detroit. Walter probably put a little extra crew, fixed them up again and put them back out into the, into the marketplace. It's, That's crazy. Yeah, That's it's, crazy. A, it's an unbelievable story. And the neat part, we've got pictures, historic photos. It so happens that the captain of that rescue crew was an amateur photographer. So he took a lot of pictures. He, he, just, he stayed with the story, so to speak. And they say he even drove the first car from the ship to Copper Harbor. That he had the honor of doing that. But his pictures have been handed down, and I was fortunate enough to get access to them, and they are included in the book as well. So a lot of pictures, a lot of interviews with descendants of, of crew members and, and the family that saved the crew and so forth. It's, it's just... It's an unbelievable story. I've had people come up to me and say, why doesn't somebody make a movie out of this? Well, <laughs> it probably would make a good one because it, it it's all true and it goes in so many different directions. Oh, it would. And how did the story come to you? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I like vacationing up there in the, in the summertime, not in the winter with 300 inches of snow. But I get up there often in the summertime and about... Two and a half years ago, we were up there, and I just I, I read a little article in one of these tourist magazines about this. It was like three paragraphs, and I thought I'd heard about all the shipwrecks on the Great Lakes. And I looked at the shipwreck uh, maps where they tell you where all the ship. It wasn't on there, and I thought this this is too good a story. You know, you're a journalist, Charlie. You know when you find a good story, you're like a like a dog with a bone, you want to hang on to it. And Absolutely. I, I became addicted to that story. I spent the next year researching, finding pictures, interviewing people, and I, I just decided this has got to be a book. It's just too good not to be told. And that's how we found it by accident. We got addicted to the story, and we were fortunate enough to get a lot of help in our research and to create the book with the photos and and the true story. It's incredible. How hard was it trying to find witnesses and stuff? I'm sorry, Shadow, you broke up. What was the question? How, was it difficult trying to find the witnesses? Was it difficult? Yeah. Oh, only at times. But when you'd run into the difficult parts, the parts that you had, had been successful with motivated you to go on and to continue. And, and again, the people up there, you know, at the end of the book, mm -hmm. I'm right, it's sort of a quasi tribute to the people of the Keweenaw Peninsula. There's that saying, it takes a village. Mm -hmm. Well, in this story, it took a peninsula. When you look at all the different things that were required to rescue crew, to rescue cars, to get them into the city, to, to save the crew. I mean, it that's a, a very, I don't want to say desolate, but it's a very lightly populated area. So everybody got involved, and uh, it did, in fact, it's a tribute to the, the type of people that live up there in that cold, snowy, isolated peninsula. I don't want to say desolate, because it's, it's a beautiful place, and especially in the summertime, right along Lake Superior, gorgeous um, um, view of the lake. They get the aurora borealis at, at, uh, at night, and it's just a, a gorgeous place to be. But it's a certain caliber of tough people that will live there year-round. And the book is really dedicated to them. And what about Chrysler? Were, were you able to talk with Chrysler? Was I able to what? Were you able to talk with Chrysler? I'm sorry, Charlotte. 
Uh, were you able to talk with Chrysler? No. no. And in fact, uh, we didn't even make an effort to because, uh, well, I shouldn't say we didn't make an effort. I went to the Chrysler Museum or Archives, as they exist now, and quickly found out that they had a fire probably now 10 or 15 years ago that destroyed anything that would have been a help to me as far as any records. You know, we, we still don't know, and I tried to find it, what was the reaction in Detroit when these cars finally came back to Detroit? You know, we searched for that. We searched Detroit newspapers. Um, somebody must have known, you know, that this was happening. But the archives at Chrysler had been lost in a fire, so those records were not available. And um, I, I, I'm sure it was quite a story uh, for the local press. We just were unable to, to research that. Um, I'm not sure if Chrysler would want to talk about it anyhow. So maybe, right. maybe it was to their benefit. I mean, but, uh, you know, the, ironically, too, and we mentioned this at the end of the book, the, the company that, that had that owned the ship actually owned 11 ships, steamers, as we call them on the Great Lakes, that, that hauled car, cars. That was what they did. Well, about two years after the Banger incident, one of the, the sister ships was in Lake Michigan and was coming from Kenosha, Wisconsin, north, on Lake Michigan when it got into a storm and a very bad collision with a ship that was coming down with a load of ore. And that ship, within six minutes, went to the bottom of Lake Michigan. Unfortunately, it took six of the crewmen with it, including the captain. But on the bottom of Lake Michigan, and the area has been declared sort of a historic area, there are all these gnashes from the from Kenosha, and people have referred to it as the largest Nash museum in the world because they're all sitting on the bottom of Lake Michigan. And it's and it's it's just typical of you know they'd lose a few, and and that that was again ironic that it was a sister ship to the one we wrote about. Now my question is, you talked about the. Uh, gentleman that, that that still shows his car that it had an axe um you know mark on it were, were, were these cars encased in ice or, or did they go underwater well the the cars that were on on top on the deck of the, of the ship that they had cars on the deck and they had cars below the deck okay. the cars that were on the deck and you'll see pictures in the book were just completely coated with snow and ice you might see a wheel sticking up or a headlight or something, but it took a, a, a huge crew to get on there and to just chop chop them loose. They used axes. There was one car, and there's a picture of it in the book, that when the car when the ship hit the reef, this one car was tossed off and went it was tossed ashore. And it, one of the crewmen described it as looking like just a ball of steel, and that car was actually hauled out on a sleigh, on a horse-drawn sleigh, and we do have a picture of that in the book as well. Um, so it, you know, they, they, they were badly covered. They sat there for almost three months, and you're talking November, December, January, in, a, in an area that gets 300 inches of snow. It was ongoing. Now the ones that were on the in the lower deck. They they were damaged because there was water that got in because the boat was gashed. Well, the water obviously froze, so they had to be chopped loose as well. They didn't have as much snow cover, but they also had ice from water that had gotten into the boat. Fortunately, it didn't cover the cars on the lower deck, but it, it got up high enough that they also had to be chopped off and then raised. They had to be raised from the lower deck to the upper deck where there was the ramp that went from the upper deck onto the frozen ice around the reef. So, and it's, again, we, we have photos of the cars coming down the ramp 
onto the reef and onto the ice. It's just, the, thank you. Thank you to the captain of the Coast Guard ship for, for taking his wonderful pictures and to his descendants for making them available for us to see. And there are some of them in the museum as well. You know, in a way, when you think about that, because, you know, I'm a big De Deadliest Catch fan, you know, how when, they, when they're way up north and all the crab pots get iced over and stuff. But, but when you think about it, these cars getting, you know, in the you know being encased in ice, if that's what preserved them, that's what saved them, because they were continually underwater all that time. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Now, one of the things that did happen when the when the ship got into the storm initially, uh, the cars that were on deck were all tied. There were there were lines of them, and each line there would be a long chain from the front of the line to the back and then each individual car was then chained to that main chain so you had several lines on deck that were like that well when the ship got into the storm the one chain main chain along the outside row broke and there were the 13 cars that were tied to that chain are now on the bottom of Lake Superior. Those went overboard. They they didn't make it. So we're 240 less 13 that actually made it. And then of course the one that was so badly banged up, you know, that you can discount that of, of any value. In fact, I think uh, Chrysler ended up selling that one to the local um, dealer in in that peninsula for twenty five dollars, so he could use it for parts. But other than that, you know, a lot of ice, a lot of snow, but they got them off the boat and sure. got got them to town. The picture of the the cars lined up in that little bitty town, it's just it, it's like something out of a movie. It's unbelievable. That's an incredible story. It is. It really is. And it, in fact, we're pretty proud. Uh, the book was named, um, what are they called? One of the 10 notable books of 2022 uh, in the, by the Authors and Publishers Association. And and uh, I asked him, why, why me? I, mean, I was glad, but why me? And the, re the reason I got back was because of the research and the total story that was told. You know, there's been shipwreck stories. We took it one step further. You know, what happened in all the different things that were resulted because of the wreck? You know, it just it went in many directions. Um, I wanted to ask you know these guys that kept the cars. Apparently, you know, obviously they were in working condition, which is astounding too. You know, because you think there'd be a little bit of water damage on these cars. Well, uh, the, the cars that were on deck, like you said, were pretty well preserved mm -hmm. and, and the, because of the stone ice. And the water damage below was not deep enough to get at the working mechanism of the car. It was, you know, they were frozen in the wheels and up right. to the lower part of the body, but, but not enough to, to, to damage anything that, that would keep it from not not moving. It had to be chopped out and a lot of them had to get new batteries but they finally got them out of there and got them to town. It just boggles the mind. That's just so awesome. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, so you say it took about a year to research all this. Was it hard gathering the information for it? Not really. Once you once you found out where to look, and in fact that I was able to track down, this is an interesting part in the book, mm -hmm. the granddaughter of the, the family that rescued the crew. I was able to find her. She lives in Indiana mm -hmm. and met with her twice. And she has a, her family has a summer home up there and met with her. And the one time that she, she met with us, she, she brought a little box along. She said, I was, going through some of my grandmother's possessions and I found these pictures and I found this card. Well, what the card was, it was a Christmas card 
that had been sent by the first mate of that ship to that family. And it was a lengthy uh, two and a half page message in there thanking that family for saving the lives of all his crewmen. And he goes into great detail and it, it almost brings you to tears when you read the card. She allowed me to copy that, to, to photocopy it, and to include that in the book. It is in the book. And again, when you talk about the research and the people that helped, that's a good example of how we were able to find people that had a connection that would tell us more about the story and, and would round out the story. Uh, the other thing she told us that's interesting, after um, the, everything was resolved with the boat, the, 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 uh, her grandfather, who was you know, one of the ones in the rescue, he, let, he ran for sheriff and was elected sheriff. Okay, so he and his wife, which would have been her grandmother, then moved to another little town just up the lake, which was where the county seat was, and he became the sheriff. And she sort of became the under sheriff. Her job was to, amongst other things, take care of the jail. Mm -hmm. And the story we were told is that when somebody would be brought up before a judge for some crime, misdemeanor, whatever, and was offered pay the fine or go to jail, a lot of times they would opt to go to jail because as it happened, she was a wonderful cook. <laughs> they knew they could get a good meal in the wintertime especially. Um, the sad part is the sheriff, after his first term, he was reelected to a second term was supposed to, his term was supposed to start in January. The, in December, just prior to that term, typical people up there, he was out helping someone who his car was stuck in a snowbank and got pneumonia. He died like just a few days into the, his first term. So what? So his wife is appointed sheriff. So now she's the sheriff. Not only is she the sheriff for that term, she runs and is elected for two more terms. And in the Michigan history books, she's listed as one of Michigan's famous ladies. You know, again, it's that people in that Keweenaw Peninsula, we got to do it attitude. And, and she did it. And amazing, amazing story. So from what you're saying, from what I understand about the witnesses, there's still people alive. I mean, when did this take place? Well, the, the shipwreck was 1926. Wow. The, the, the crew was rescued in 90, uh, 1926. The crew was rescued in 1926. The cars were rescued in 1927. Okay. And fortunately, they were 1927 Chrysler. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just thinking, I mean, 1926, these people... These witnesses are, are up there. I'm, I'm just impressed that you found them. Yeah, it was, it, it's just, it's one of those kind of stories that really gets to you. Uh -huh. Yeah, because that was the year my dad was born. That's why I was trying to do the math in my head. Right. And are the majority of the family still still living on the, uh, the, the, the peninsula or have they kind of dispersed? Well, there's descendants uh -huh. of them. And, and they certainly were a help to us in researching. Uh, obviously, you know, families that were involved, just like the, the uh, Coast Guard captain, it was his granddaughters who had acquired the photos that he had taken. And they were generous in making them available for me and for the museum there in, in Eagle Harbor. So... There were a lot of a lot of descendants of people involved, and I was able to also get um, the copy of an article that uh, a a reporter had done, a radio reporter. He had interviewed several of the crewmen, and the written copy of that interview I was able to get, 
And so consequently, I was able to pull out of that the comments of some of the crew that was actually on the boat, you know, and, and them. And so when I say, you know, they feared they were near death, you know, it was, this is what they told this particular radio reporter that they didn't think they were going to make it. And, and the quotes are all in the, in the script of his radio broadcast. So we were able to get some, some good, almost firsthand information because of the interview of them at that time. Let's talk about Lake Superior a little bit, because I know people, like in California, they don't realize how big these lakes are. Well, Lake Superior, it's actually called an inland ocean. It's so big. You've got, you know, the six lakes, the Great Lakes, and Lake Superior is huge. And it can be very, very dangerous. That because it is so big and the wind can whip it and it can get so cold, um, it's not it's not a friendly lake to be on sometimes. Sometimes it's very peaceful, very beautiful, uh, you know, you, it's great fishing. Uh, in fact, they've recently started uh, these, uh, these, ship, these cruise ships, passenger cruise ships now are, are cruising the Great Lakes. So it can be very friendly. But it can also, it'll bite you. You got to be careful. Because don't they have their own weather patterns too, right? I'm sorry, they're what? That they have their own weather patterns. Yeah, it's, it's, okay, it's, it's different. It's just very different, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating to me. This, 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 this book is fascinating to me. I, I, I read the first few chapters. And it's good stuff. I mean, it, it keeps you glued to the to the story. Yeah, and it's, so a, it's pretty. You, you, as a fellow journalist, will know. You know, uh, it's a, it, when you write like you would write for radio, TV, news, it flows easier, and it's easier to read. Uh, you can sit down and read that book hour, hour and a half. You know, and then you'll go back and you'll start looking at the pictures. But it, it's. It, it, it's, and I think it's one of the reasons it got the, the, the award that it got, because it was an easy-to-follow story, and it was all true. Mm-hmm. So, again, getting back to your research, did you find anything difficult to research on it? Well, yeah, we, tr- we traced a lot of rumors, you know, because we're looking at, you know, third-generation it's been handed down that type thing, you know. So we did chase a lot of rumors that were dead ends. Um, there was no way to prove them. You'd find some, oh, well, I heard that, you know. And so it's just like the missing cars, you know. Oh, yeah, my grandfather was one of the ones that drove it. Well, you start tracking it down. Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but he didn't keep one of the cars. You know? So those are the old, you know, urban rumors that, that sort of grow in years. And you have to sort them out from the facts. You know, it was the time, too, because I was thinking when you talked about the people keeping the cars. Nowadays, DMV and everywhere else has those serial numbers on record. And it'd be hard to do that nowadays. So <laughs> the, that timing was perfect for a lot of those people. Yeah, you had to, you know, in those, those days, well, let's face it, there was no communications when the, when the ship crashed. Mm-hmm. And... Very little. Even the the closest newspaper, which was a weekly newspaper, which is long since gone, was in that town where the depot was. And going through archives, I found very little. I did find a couple articles. Again, you say, well, you know, what did what didn't you find? Right. You they had two articles about the cars being rescued and that the cars were coming to their town were going to be placed on the train, you know, all of that. They had that pretty well in detail that Chrysler was sending up a special crew to make sure the cars were mounted on the train properly, etc. That was in this newspaper. But you would think somebody, either from the newspaper or somebody in town who had heard about it, would have gone out and taken a picture right. of the cars on the train. Do you know I tried everything 
to find that that picture is the holy grail of that book. It, if it exists, it's in some family book where grandpa took, you know, who drove the cars and here's the, the picture. The newspaper didn't have it. In, uh, in upper Michigan, um, in the closest town to where this happened is Houghton, Michigan. And there's a, a very large university there, Michigan Tech. Um, they have the great archives. And I've worked with the archives for a lot of my stories. But the interesting part, when I first got on to this, the first, one of the first places I went for information is I went to the archives at Michigan Tech. Now, Michigan Tech is probably 45 miles from where the shipwrecked, okay? And this is the university archives. I called there and talked to one of the archivists, and I told her what I was looking for, and she said, you know, that's an amazing story. I've never heard that story before. <laughs> and she, she's in the university archives. She said, let me see what I can find out was. It turned out she had a fellow uh, employee that had heard the story and knew it. Yes, it did happen. And they were able to dig out a couple of newspaper articles for me uh, and, and one picture uh, of the, well, actually two pictures, one picture of the family, the gentleman that had the car for 60 years, you know, they had a picture of him and it's in the book. In fact, it's a picture of him taking the car through the state motor vehicle inspection okay and the old guy who's and this is years ago you know the old guy who's standing there with his clipboard he's he's saying i have never seen a car this old with this many miles <laughs> come through this inspection you know and the other picture that i was able to get was when the the car was finally sold to the museum there's a picture of it being loaded on the trailer and hauled out to the museum but I found it so, it was frustrating because I'm just starting to get into the story. I've become addicted to it. I call the archives. Gee, we have heard about that. I'm like, oh, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> and it worked itself out. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So when you finally, like, you got real good response to this book, obviously. And you think, you mentioned this earlier. Do you think there might be a, a, a movie company interested in doing something with it? I hope so. You know, I, I hope the story attracts enough attention. It, it has, you know, from an author's standpoint, it has sold well. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, maritime enthusiasts and used vehicle, I mean, vintage vehicle enthusiasts. Um, I, I've got some vintage car museums that are selling the book in their gift store. Oh, that's awesome. So, so yeah, I think it's, as they say, it's got legs. It'll be around for a while, and and who knows? Maybe someday somebody will come to me and say, "Here's the missing link." You know, here's the picture you've been looking for. So I'm always game for an update. Well, it's just interesting, like you say, because there've been so many shipwrecks in the Great Lakes that that this one was overlooked. But this one's very, you know, when you look at this in the big picture, this is a very important story. I mean, this is a car, a huge car company literally going in to rescue their vehicles. Well, you know, there have been over 6,000 shipwrecks, recorded shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. And one uh, historian told me that there's probably a couple thousand more that we don't even know about. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll see, I, 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 I kind of watch for shipwreck news now. And every once in a while, they'll find one that they didn't know about. You know, there'll be a story about it and so forth. So um, at least 6,000 out there. And, of course, everybody thinks the Edmund Fitzgerald. Right. You know, that, that, right. was, that was the big one. And one of the, the, the people that helped me in the book, and I've got his picture in there, um, a deep-sea diver by the name of Rick Mixter. And he has... He's gone down to the Edmund Fitzgerald, and we talked about that a lot. And, and he's, he's, he's got some experience as far as shipwrecks, and he was able to kind of bring me into the loop as to what I should be looking for, and, and he was a help. He'd been out to the site, um, you know, recently when there would be 
pieces that would come ashore or something like that. But he's a big help in just basically learning about shipwrecks and what happens when they go down and so forth. But the fact that he went to the Edmund Fitzgerald, and he's written a couple of books about that and, and pretty well has summarized what happened. And he said, when you go down and, and dive down to it and look at the, the wreckage, you know exactly what happened mm -hmm. and, and how it sunk. You know? So mm -hmm. he was a help. So what's next for you? Well, next for me, I guess I got addicted to snow because <laughs> I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book called "Make It Go in the Snow." Okay. But you know, and right away people think, "Oh, snowmobiles." Well, right. snowmobiles, snowmobiles are recent compared to where I'm going with this book. I'm back to the early 1900s, you know, and how vehicles were used in different ways. You know, some of them had propellers and skis on them. Some of them had great, like the Model T, the, the guy that went out to the, the ship, you know, where they would put a, a, a track on the, instead of the wheels and skis instead of the front wheels, that type of thing. And I'm finding some amazing stories on what people did in the early days for snowmobile, if you want to use that term, and they do, snowmobile transportation. Actually, you know, everybody says, well, snowmobile, that's pretty new. The name snowmobile was actually copyrighted in 1912. <laughs> so wow. so you, you can see where we've gone with it. And, you know, we get into some, some interesting facts of, of um, how snowmobiles evolved and some, some of the things, the ideas. In fact, the subtitle on the book is people and ideas in the history of snowmobiles, you know. And uh, some of the ideas were really good and some of them were bizarre and never worked, but we've got them covered. And that that's good. You remember the Coca-Cola book? Um, you know, that was like 200 and some pages. And this right. one is, is going to be the same. It's going to be a lot of, a lot of, I'm doing a lot of research again, getting pictures and that. going to be a lot of pictures and it's, it's going to be substantial in size. Fantastic. Well, we'll have to get you back on after you get that book done. Well, that, you got it. That's a promise. And in the meantime, i got to get my plug in here, shipwreckedandrescued.com. That's the best place to get it. Yeah, it's available other places, but if you go to the website, tell me who you are, I'll sign it to you and send it to you. Ship www.shipwreckedandrescued.com. Shipwrecked, remember past tense, shipwreckedandrescued.com. Thank you so much, Larry, and uh, de we'll definitely get you on with the next book as well. Thank you, Charlotte. It's been great. Uh, I know you've got a, a, a great theme going out there, and I, I wish you, you know, I could listen to you every week. You, you've got some interesting, interesting stories that come up. But we're going to stay in touch and I'll catch you when I can. Absolutely. All right. You have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Right, it's always fun to have him on. He does tons of research. Loved him with the Coca-Cola books. And by the way, if you're interested in the Coca-Cola books, you can get those on his website as well. Tomorrow, we're shifting gears back to the paranormal. Tony Rathman is going to be on, and he's got an interesting technique uh, for ITC communication with the dead that he's come up with. And I've got some samples of that that we're going to be playing, and we're, we're going to be talking about that because it, the, the, this is, the, is going to be cutting-edge stuff. So I'm real excited about it. So that'll be tomorrow at the usual time at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. All right. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. Like I said earlier, we are equal opportunity here, and we are just looking to get the word out about this show. And if you haven't done so already and you're watching from Facebook tonight, please be sure to hit that follow button. Same thing with YouTube. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button. And come on over to TikTok. We have a TikTok account. Come on over to follow us because we're doing a lot of stuff over at TikTok. We're expanding in with Karen, with our medium Karen Clark over there to do psychic readings and different things like that and tell ghost stories and, and stuff. So it's, it's turning into a real fun spot for people. But anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. Um, I want to shut up now and let you guys go back to your lives. And uh, I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great night.